Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. to Nightlight. So glad you could join me. We have a fascinating show tonight. We're going to be looking into an amazing book called The Afterlife Book, Heaven, Hell, and Life After Death. It's a profound and fascinating exploration of death and the afterlife. Christian and other religious belief, beliefs, rituals from around the world, quests for immortality, scientists' conclusions, ghosts, and more. What happens when we die? Many view it as a mystery, but there are tantalizing clues to be found in the Bible and other religious scriptures, scientific findings, historical writings, literature, reports of near-death experiences, and in many other recorded sources. Facing the contradictions and similarities of beliefs from all over the world and throughout history, the Afterlife book Heaven, Hell, and Life After Death, shows how death and the afterlife is viewed in a variety of different ways. This engrossing guide looks at many comparing views from the, of the afterlife and the shared connections between them. Is death just a mysterious phase in our journey? Does it lead to heaven or hell? Is it reincarnation or simply eternal blackness and unconsciousness? Do we continue to exist in some form or other beyond the physical bodies and the afterlife book tackles these questions and gives us all hope that our lives do not come to an end but change like the natural cycles of birth life death and rebirth its many photos and illustrations help bring the text to life and its helpful bibliography and extensive index add to its usefulness it's really a, a very very profound book and it's co-authored by Larry Flaxman and Mary D. Jones. Larry is a best-selling author and a TV personality, and he has co-authored 10 books with Mary. 
So it it is a profound um, pleasure to have you on the show tonight, Larry. Your book uh, fascinated me totally. I had a, you know, it it, it sounds ridiculous, but I, I had a, an amazingly wonderful time reading through all of your material because you've done such extensive research into so many aspects of the element of death and 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 rebirth and hell and heaven that and you put them out so beautifully it was a joy to read through them well thank you that's certainly a high praises i definitely appreciate that well it's it's a topic that a lot of people veer away from and and actually your book i found very enlightening and positive and um the fact that you were going into such depth into researching all of the aspects of all of it uh, made you forget that you were talking about death, which in so many cases for, for so many people is the end, and, and, and then for others it is only the beginning. So, so it really gives you a whole lot of material to, to work from if you're working out your own philosophy as to where am I going and why, you know, why. But you know, it seems to be a topic that 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 has you know obsessed so many people, um, wondering what does ha- happen after life. I mean, we have no proof, but we've got a lot of material that that tells us otherwise. So, why are humans so obsessed with that? Why is it that so many feel that it's the end? Well, I think uh, <clears throat> I think obsessed is really a that's sort of a, a key word here, um, and, and I agree with you. You are 100% correct. I, I think many, many people have a obsession uh, with with death for whatever reason, whether they're looking at it from a religious perspective, whether they have sort of metaphysical leanings, whatever. It is the the one universal unknown for each and every one of us. We all have a shared destiny. We all have a final location, and it's one of those things that is not essentially written in black and white in many people's minds as far as what happens. So, you know, I think obsession is definitely a good way to put it, uh, but it is a universal truth, and it's something that, that we all have to face at some point. So I think some of that obsession or some of that focus really sort of comes from from that desire to know, you know, to, to try to understand what is what is the next phase of of our spiritual or, or um, energetic evolution. Are we are we simply um, turning a light bulb off? Is it truly ashes to ashes, dust to dust, or uh, probably so, much more so than I believe, uh, that it is sort of a a re-transformation, a, a transformative process, a, um, a changing, if you will, of the energies. Um, but, yeah, I believe that is absolutely true. People are very focused on trying to understand and, and rectify within their own belief systems um, you know what it is that they believe happens after death. I think too, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we we are a part of nature, and nature does have that cycle of birth, you know, growth, 
then aging, then death, then rebirth, because, you know, every everything in nature does have that cycle. And because we're part of nature, we have that cycle as well. And and yet people seem to 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 seem to be um just just perseverating on the fact that our body is done, but there's another part and aspect of us which would be the spirit, the soul, that is immortal yeah. and and that that is what is reborn and they keep forgetting that and and I think you know, our human bodies have an expiration date on them just like everything else does that's alive. But that's just the body. That's just the vehicle. And right. the essence the essence of self goes on. And major religions don't necessarily cover that aspect of it. I know in the Bible it says, you know, you, you're born and you live so many years and you work very hard and you die. And that's what is most usually quoted. But if you look at, and I can't give you the, the um, chapter and verse, but, but the, the rest of that verse is, and then you fly away, inferring that your spirit flies away and goes on to yet another cycle somewhere else or somehow else. So mm-hmm. how did we get into this, how did we get locked into this perception of, you know, birth and death? How do, you know... Where does that come from? Where are we taught that death is the end? You know, I, I think a large portion of that comes from religious underpinnings. Um, you know, the, the whole, again, that concept of ashes to ashes, dust to dust, I think it's, it's hammered in people from a very young age uh, to live your life, be as good of a person as you can, and then when you die, depending on your belief system, you will potentially wait for the resurrection or whatever, um, you know, I don't know. My personal perspective, I, I'm a scientist, so I tend to look at things from a, from a scientific perspective under the lens or the microscope of science. There really is no place for, for that in religion, uh, for religion, um, in, in my mind, uh, when trying uh-huh. to understand the science of death or trying to understand the logistics of death. Um, you know, I, I don't know, though. I don't know why that's something that, that's such a, a hang-up for, for most religions, why they focus on that rather than talk about some of the more um, accepted tenets, especially of science, talking about conservation of energy, talking about how um, there, there's, a, there's many rabbit holes we could go down here. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a really good point. I don't know why people I mean, are so focused on just the physical now, and then when you die, that's it. Well, I, I think I'm going to blame religion as well, because if you go way back in history, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years, um, there, there isn't the use of religion. Please excuse me if I offend anybody out there, because in many cases religion is used as a threat to control people. So, sure. so understanding, um, I mean, they're, they're, if you go way back, um, there are many tribes that, for instance, the Milky Way was their pathway to the, to, to the afterlife, whatever it was. Um, if you go back, you know, you look at the Egyptians. Um, mm-hmm. They don't take death as an ending. They, they, it was just, you know, you float into the other side and you become a god. 
I mean, it, it, right. in, in so many of the, the ancient texts and, and, and philosophies, it, it wasn't an end. And until probably 2,000 years ago or so, religions, or, or more, or more, because I think I think the the Jewish religion was you know a bit further back, but um, they they started talking about needing to have guidelines to live by, and if you you followed the guidelines, you would be accepted into to heaven, or you would be sent into hell. And right. I think that it, it's very sad that that with a culture like we are today there isn't a greater understanding of the fact that, you know, there are parts of the human body, well, while they, they will all waste down to dust, for sure, but there are aspects of the human body that that do go on, and they even have some, I'm not sure how, how um, I don't think that the findings of that one doctor where, where I forget how many, how many ounces or whatever the human spirit was, but he was weighing people as they died, and they, he found that there was a certain amount of ounces right. that were suddenly lost. Um, I, I don't think that, that, that actually the, the spirit has a weight, but there is a, another part of us that there, there's so many accounts of seeing a light rise up or energy rise up or, you know, that, that, that there is something else there, and it goes... Where it goes, we don't know. You know, we won't know till we get there, and then we can't, you know, send a letter back and saying, "Hey, you know, <laughs> this is what really happens." Um, but there are people that have experienced death and have come back and talked about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, those those who have experienced a, a, a near death or or an actual death and then coming back, um, and and some of them, scientists, do speak of of the other side of what they saw and it is is it is it does it have to do with science not being able to physically prove it or is it you know where does this dilemma come in where where people just can't accept something because you know, you know you know do you have to prove it on paper and stuff like that in order to accept its existence i guess is my question That that yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know. It just it seems to me that that um, I know scientists are looking for the god the god element and stuff like that. But but when you look at when you look at you know what happens you know to so many people and there are so many you quote a, a number of 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 circumstances or, or situations in the book where. Young children are are born and they remember being alive in another place and they can almost prove it. So so I think I just I just wish that there was some way to really put information out there and your book does a great job of it, um, showing how different cultures respect the element of death in different ways, and it's you know just just you know the bearing and everything is pretty current i guess um christianity buries but but apparently muslim uh, no christianity allows um cremation the muslims don't and i i loved all of the different um cultures and and um groupings that that had different rituals around the element of death and some of them 
made greater sense to me than what we do today. Are we yeah, are we controlled? Sure. You know, are we controlled by by society and religion as to how we look at it, or or is it okay for us to kind of go one step beyond? You know, I think there's certainly those societal norms. I think the and religious norms to a large extent too that I think sort of dictate <clears throat> how how um, many of those traditions. Uh, or why many of those traditions continue. So, you know, I, I think we're starting to sort of step out a little bit from um, to sort of go into the scientific circle here for a minute. We're starting to sort of step out of our, our comfort, uh, our traditional comfort zone in that death, um, we're starting to understand that death is not a uh, instantaneous, it's not an on-off switch. Um, so up until probably the last 10 or 15 years, traditional medical science has um, defined death as the cessation of uh, electrical activity in the body. So the heart Mm -hmm. stops beating, and we're starting to realize now, based on hundreds of experiential uh, events where people have, as you had talked about, had clinically died and have been uh, resuscitated or brought back to life, so we're starting to understand that, that death is, is more of a process. It's something that is not as black and white as we traditionally believe that it was. And we're starting to realize also that what we consider to be death itself may not be completely correct. Um, there have been numerous cases of individuals that have been uh, considered clinically dead for a number of minutes, including um, up to including and up to uh, an hour or two. I actually read a story not that long ago about a lady that had drowned, and uh, she was pulled out of a pool completely. Um, she she was dead, completely dead. Uh, they had attempted to resuscitate her, unable to. Uh, they had um, called the the coroner's. The coroner office had come pronounced the body dead uh, and or pronounced the, the lady dead and, and also had, you know, stated the approximate time of death and then shipped her off to the uh, funeral home uh, to be cleaned up and, and um, buried. Well, two hours uh, after she had arrived at the funeral home, uh, while um, one of the, um, one of the individuals were uh, a, about to um, begin the, I don't even know what you call it, but the makeup. Embalming. Kind of stuff that they, embalming. Um, yeah. No, she wasn't being embalmed. Um, she was oh, being okay. uh, prepared. Um, so they were putting makeup on her. And um, there's, when bodies are not embalmed, they have to be buried fairly quickly. And so mm-hmm. they have a process of, of, you know, putting some makeup on them, trying to make them look, I guess, more alive. Uh, but during that process, two hours after she had arrived at the funeral home, all of a sudden, the individual that was attempting to uh, put makeup on her uh, realized that she had a heartbeat. And she, in a matter of minutes after that, um, she was fully awake and aware, and she had recovered completely from that incident. So that begs the question, where was she during those two hours that she was pronounced clinically dead? She was dead. I mean, deader than a doornail. <laughs> and she, she obviously had got there was 
something had to have happened, right, from from a consciousness perspective. Um, what, while her body was switched off, while her, her life force, her essence, whatever you want to call it, was gone, something, there had to have been something. She had to have gone someplace. Um, but unfortunately, uh, when she was asked, she had no recollection. She said that she remembered falling in the pool, she remembered trying to, to swim to the, to the um, surface but was unable to, and then she said she remembered um, just black, nothing but black. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because um, that is a, a great example of traditional science, uh, the traditional science definition of death uh, really being somewhat much more flexible than what we would normally consider. She was dead, but then two hours later she was back alive again, so... Yeah, and you know when you when you and other near death experience near death, but not wasn't there a surgeon that died and he was clinically dead and he came back? Uh, and, several. Uh, Doctor Eben Alexander is that the one you're thinking of? Maybe he uh-huh. wrote a book. He was a neurosurgeon. Yeah. Actually, I think he wrote two and, books. Yeah. So, so he actually went somewhere. He did. So Eben Alexander's story is a little bit uh, unique in that he brings a significant amount of, I would say, scientific uh, credibility to the concept of a, of a, I guess you could call that a near-death experience, but technically he died. So um, as I remember, uh, Dr. Alexander had um, sepsis. He had some type of an infection that spread to his brain, and as part of that, he um, was having surgery to uh, try to remove uh, whatever that, that septic um, piece was the, or the, the organ that had gone septic. He ended up dying clinically on, on the uh, operating table, and he was clinically dead for a number of minutes. He was resuscitated, brought back to life, and had full... Uh, recollection of the experience. He remembered uh, essentially a very, very hyper real uh, world that he was flying around on the wing of a butterfly. And oh. in his story, he talked about how he remembered seeing colors that don't exist in, in reality today. And he saw people, or he, what he termed to be, what he thought were people they were energies that he recognized as being people that um, had passed that he had been close to, including his sister, who apparently had, had died at a very young age. Uh, he was able to recognize her in this, in this uh, heavenly-type uh, construct that he was. Um, but different people have had lots of different um, experiences, near-death uh, recollections. Um, there, there are definitely some commonalities. Many of the the folks that have had a near-death experience uh, have recollection of either walking or being pulled down a tunnel. And uh-huh. this tunnel has been described a number of ways uh, as actually like like a like you would imagine a uh, a bridge underneath a bridge like a tunnel. Um, but then others have described it as sort of this this round black hole with a bunch of 
like spinning, flashing lights in it. But the commonality is at the end of this tunnel, um, as they're drawn or pulled or, or walk to the end of the tunnel, they um, are greeted by a, a very bright light. And within that light, uh, many people have um, allegedly experienced uh, being uh, re reignited or, or reunited, I should say, uh, with loved ones that had passed previously. Um, so that's a very universal experience of people that have had a near-death experience. Many people talk about that tunnel with the light at the end, and some people talk mm-hmm. about seeing God or a godlike figure at the end, but more people than not that have had that experience actually talk about meeting loved ones at the end. I, I did uh, a number of years ago, I did a whole series of shows on people who had had near-death experiences, and um, my 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 favorite interview, one that, that touched me deeply, was a young girl who had um, tried to commit suicide, and this the, doing the interview was the first time she had talked about it with anybody, and she talked about the, the tunnel. She talked about uh, f- flying down the tunnel, actually, and she, and she said, you have to understand it. She, was, she got very emphatic, and she said, you have to understand this. I was not surrounded by, light, by, by love. I wasn't supported by love. I wasn't pulled by love. She said, when you get to that place, you are love. And it, it touched me deeply um, because, you know, because it was coming from such a young girl. I think she was 16 or 17 when I interviewed her. And it, it kind of goes with, with some in the book in, in in one place you talk about at the moment of death people's eyes usually begin to glow and they get a smile on their face and it feels to me as though there there's a recognition of of peace and that, that comes I don't know you can't wake them up and say what are you seeing now but um to me it feels as though it's not a horrible experience uh, what their spirit is going through in their physical body is reacting to. Um, it, it, it really feels like they are going somewhere. They are, they are being drawn forward in some way, shape, or form. And, and certainly, you know, you have enough ex- you have enough examples of the the near death experience and, and things like that. That that there has to be something to it. It can't be just make believe. There is something to it. And and so you know basically in many in many ways, this leads into the fact that at death we don't take our physical body with us, but our spirit goes forward. Um, and you know I mean in the beginning of the book you're very graphic about what happens to the physical body. It it goes back to dust. It goes back to mm-hmm. um, the physical nature of of life, I guess. And yet. Um, it, 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 you know, we have so many visitations by people who have just passed away that, that, that actually do sort of show up and call people and say goodbye and, and, and visit them afterwards so that there is an element of something that is still alive and vital that comes after death. Right. And, and I think that, um, I mean, and one of the one of the sweetest things in the book 
is talking about about animals having spirits and their animals visiting the people that that cared for them um after they died and um I recently had a a a dear pet of mine um pass away and yet many many nights after he had passed away it still felt like he was jumping on the bed it still felt like he was absolutely present here in the house and i do believe that there was an awareness um people i a lot of people use consciousness but i i call consciousness awareness because i think that's more what the spirit has but that's this this you know that's just my definition but it does feel that that if people are very sensitive to energy that they can feel the energy of the person that has passed away still around them and there are many reports of that yeah that that's that's really interesting i've I've never had a a spirit of a pet come back uh to me I would love to, but many people do report that interestingly enough though it's to sort of diverge a little bit on a kind of separate but related track. Um, something that's really always fascinated me is that there has been um, no sightings that I'm aware of from a paranormal perspective of uh, dinosaurs um, or of, of, you know, animals from the Ice Age, for instance. Um, uh-huh. I, I'm not sure why that, that interests me so much, but, the, you know, the idea of of animals coming back uh, and and showing a sign to their their loved ones, um, it, is it a? It's obviously some sort of a of an energetic connection, right? But why is it that we're not having those experiences with things that we don't have a direct correlation with, like like dinosaurs? Well, I I think that there is probably it's a good point. Um, but what 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 I have experienced and seen now I saw I saw a deer hit and killed crossing a road knew it was dead when it hit the other side and yet I saw a shadow rise up and go on grazing so I'm I'm wondering if animals to a certain extent have 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 to have a connection with with um, the human experience, in order to draw that um, that connection to them, um, but but you, you make a very good point. There, there certainly dinosaurs were alive. They had a a fragment of the divine in them. So when they died, it would seem to me. But who would have seen them? I mean, you you don't know it exists unless somebody sees it, and there weren't a lot of people around. I, I, you're talking about Tyrannosaurus Rex and stuff like that, right? Right, right. Well, there were probably very few people around that, that you know, first of all, could have seen them, and no way of making a record of them. So they might have even come back but there was just nobody to make a record of it. Um, yeah, that's a good good point. It, it's it's sort of like there may have been flying saucers back then too, but again, nobody to make a record of it. 
Well, no, wait. They are, they, they are there are records in, in caves and stuff like that. But I I I believe everything that is living has a spirit, and and you know you go from the humans to the trees and the devas and the garden and stuff like that. And the the spirits have different energetics as well. There is a frequency that we all emit, and and mm-hmm. once it is released from the body, the spirit that energy wave, that frequency, continues on even though it doesn't have a physical body to carry it around in. So um, that's a very good point, though. Um, And I don't know how I would even research it to see if that existed, but that's a very good point. Yeah, interesting. You you know, you look at... at, um, People who have passed away and, and you know have have come and said goodbye to their family members and things like that. Um, I, I, I do believe that that energy, that frequency that is in the human body, that spirit, is immortal. It's eternal. It will go on whether it's in a human body or another, a different body someplace else. But but to me that that is. That is the part of us that is immortal, but in one in one in one place you were talking about how we so much of our our physical stuff can be you know into AI and stuff that at some point in time we may actually be immortal, and you know the more the more I I read in your book and the more you talked about it the more I more I thought now immortality doesn't look all that good. Um, sooner or later, you got to get tired of the same old, same old. I mean, it's like a vampire. A vampire lives forever, so long as he stays out of the sun and keeps his head on his shoulders. So, but it, it's sort of like, would I want to live forever? And if everybody else was living forever, cer- certainly the planet would get overcrowded and stuff like that. But, but you know, what would the point of being immortal be? So that is an interesting philosophical question and one that I've had many, 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 many discussions with uh, different people about. I'm probably one of the, I would say, rare people uh, that would want to live forever. Um, I, I love the idea of, of immortality um, for, for a multitude of reasons. Um, to a certain extent, though, let's sort of go back to, to um, the statement that you had made. Um, to, to a certain extent, though, from an energetic perspective, we already do. So when you look at it from a scientific perspective or when you look at it from, from a purely physics perspective, the energy in our body is part of a closed system. In other words, we exist in a closed ecosystem that includes energy. And what we know uh, about the laws of thermodynamics, specifically the first, second, and third law, conservation of, of, of mass, and talk about how there, there's a fixed and finite set of, of energy that exists in the universe. You can't create energy. You can't destroy energy. You can simply um, transfer it from one medium to another. So. Uh-huh. Many folks are, are probably uh, intimately aware of that, but never really sort of thought through the logistics of how would that apply to um, to, hum- to a human's 
um, continuity of life. Well, human beings are, our energy is, we fall under that same umbrella. So we, um, the laws of, of, of energy uh, dictate how, um, how our energy behaves as well. So, for instance, our brain produces electricity. Our hearts produce electricity. You can measure it in a variety of ways. So from what we know about the law of conservation of, um, of energy, um, the energy that exists in our body has always existed. Uh, it has, it will, will always, it, it will always exist, uh, and it cannot be destroyed. So what that means is that there has to be a way for that energy to, to recycle, or as you said, the world would become over, uh, overrun uh, with people. So something has to happen to that energy. And I think when we start talking about death and, and that process, um, I think that's where that sort of comes into play. Um, the human body dies. I mean, we know that. And, yes, we, we talked in, in pretty graphic detail about what happens to the human body upon death of the physical organism. But I, I think there's something – there's a much different process that's happening underneath the surface energetically, and that when you when you die, um, prior to your body, um, the physical constraints of your body occurring, uh, there are things that happen that immediately transfer your energy someplace else, and that someplace else is sort of the big question. Without bringing religion into the picture and talking about hell or heaven, I truly believe, and there's a significant amount of science that backs this up, and we talked about this um, in this book as well as our book, The Grid. I truly believe that when, um, when a person passes, when they die, their energy transfers to another level of the multiverse. In other words, another layer of the grid or another... Um, another level of reality of sorts. So we live uh -huh. in this, this uh, wonderful three-dimensional world, right? But there are, according to M-theory, there are potentially 30-plus uh, realities that all exist alongside our own, sort of stacked like onion skins. And we're only on one of those layers of the onion skin, but there are realities that exist in those other layers that we don't have access to ordinarily. So a good example of that or, or sort of a, a, rep a visual representation of that would be um, a, a, a large city with skyscrapers. Um, when you're in one of those skyscrapers, you're on the, I don't know, the seventh floor. And it's pretty quiet, pretty peaceful. You're minding your own business. It's nice and relaxing. But up on the 13th floor, there's a party going on. You can't hear it. You're not, you haven't been invited to it. So you have no awareness whatsoever of that party that's going on on the 13th floor. But you get a phone call. Someone invites you to that party. So you now have the ability by walking up the stairs or taking the elevator to change your reality and go to that level of, of reality of sorts. You, you go to the 13th floor and you're now partaking in a, a wholly different experience than what you were just moments ago. If you take that out to sort of a more macroscopic level and you look at the entire city, uh, the city is, is built uh, with 
multiple skyscrapers, multiple buildings. Each of those buildings have their own realities occurring on each of the floors. But now we have roads that connect and, and walkways that connect these buildings. So you have the ability to access those other realities um, of sorts. So I think that is how reality in, in general operates. We are one we are at one floor of the skyscraper and the other levels of the skyscraper are accessible to us at times so that we can change our reality. But I also think that those levels that there there is another level, perhaps the thirteenth floor is whatever you would deem to be um, heaven or, or hell or again whatever your religious belief is about where you go after you die. But I think there's a very scientific explanation uh, for that um, transference of energy um, and, and where you do go when you die. I, I don't. I, I just. I don't believe that there is a. I, I don't believe that there is that idea of, of of ashes to ashes, dust to dust, beyond the physical layer. I, I truly believe that when you pass your energy goes to a different layer of that skyscraper or of the grid and that, that you are then living as a reality very similar to, and, and much um, much similar to our own, but outside of our current um, visibility. Does that kind of make sense? Well, I, I, yeah, that's, that's basically, um, you put it more scientifically than I do, but but yeah, I, I I agree with the fact that that my, the energy goes somewhere else and and takes on a new life. But but, but here's the thing, you know, the, the the thing that is me, the the spirit that is me, I I doesn't actually my personality doesn't go. Why do you but say my that? Memories, well, my memories do. I, I think that the personality is something that is that is um, created by the environment you're living in. As you well, grow, it is, but you your react- memories are as well. Absolutely, but your memories are a part and parcel of that as well. So why would so why don't you know, why don't when, we, why don't we you, have the the memories of, of of millions of lives that we've had then? Well, I think we do, but I think many of those, many times those are repressed somehow. I don't know whether it's a biological construct that's preventing that information to come through, but if you've ever had a past life reading, um, oh, there yeah. are, and I have, um, there uh-huh. certainly exists the possibility for that information to be brought back to the surface. Um, but, you know, I also think when when we're talking about energy, I don't want to get hung up on on. You know, when people think energy, they automatically think electricity. But I'm I'm not really kind of I'm not really referring to energy specifically within that construct. I'm talking about energy as more of information, um, more of sort of a an information um, packet, if you will. That packet of information would contain your experiences, your personality, your um, all of the things that make you who you are. I believe that information is is in, um, inside each and every one of us, and it's a part of that electrical um, energy that our body contains. There have been a lot of um, there's been a lot of research into consciousness and what consciousness actually is. And believe it or not, consciousness is is a really um, unknown 
there's a lot of unknown territory in the, in the concept of the consci- of consciousness research. We have certain ideas about where consciousness lives in the brain, but we don't really know exactly um, how everything happens the way that it does. Um, there's still so many things that are unknown about human biology and human consciousness that, you know, it's sort of like a like an undiscovered, or undiscovered galaxy of sorts. Um, there are so many things that we don't know about ourselves that it's just incredible. Um, but consciousness is something that scientists, I think, have struggled with because it's one of those things sort of like Einstein's spooky action at a distance, right, quantum entanglement. <laughs> yeah. We know that it occurs. We know that it's that it's a it's a provable tenet, but we don't know why, and I, I think that's really frustrating to neuroscientists and, and um, physicians that are studying consciousness. We know that it exists. We know that every one of us has consciousness, but we don't know why. Well, I think in in many ways, see, I look upon the brain more as a motherboard, and I look at 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 spirit as something that is that is interdimensional so to speak so that so that the the the, the brain takes information processes it and gives us it back but but that and i agree with you that the 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 spirit well no you didn't say this but the spirit carries with it the memories of all the past lives absolutely so if someone is getting a past life reading, whoever is doing it is tapping into the energy that is in the physical body at that time and going to that place within them that has the storage of all the past lives. It, it, you take it with you. It's your your whole record sure. goes with your spirit lifetime to lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. But it's not, in my opinion, it's not stored in the brain. It is stored in the spirit, which is in residence in the physicality. But but doesn't stay there. It travels on lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. So a part of us is immortal. Or are you familiar with the concept of the holographic brain? Yes. Okay. So for those that are not, the holographic brain is sort of an emerging concept in neurophysiology that uh, we believe uh, that our consciousness is simply an external entity and that our brain of is to a certain extent a receiver of that information so um you know whether you call it the the akashic record access to that or or whatever um perhaps and this is you know completely hypothetical here but perhaps uh-huh. all of our memories and energies and the, our consciousness is stored in this large external library uh, that we do access sort of like the internet uh, using some you know autonomic nervous system uh, component that we don't understand um, so you know that sort of then talks about the, the possibility of an unlimited amount of, of lives uh, experiences memories sort of an unlimited bandwidth or you know uh, a hard drive that could never fill up uh, uh-huh. of, of sorts. Um, so that's another potential possibility. You know, maybe when we die, that energy, that consciousness, um, it, it never was in us in the first place. Maybe it always was someplace external to us, but our access to it 
then just shift to a different um, a different reality. Oh, I I go along with that because I mean there's that other theory too that 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 this reality is really a a 3D holographic of something that's happening in in a two-dimensional world and it's being you know broadcast to a third dimensional world and that we're not we're just a holograph i mean very matrixy yeah. but but very um, much. and that yeah and that could be too i just i i think that there is physically the human body is is an amazing instrument but it's also like I, I often equate the human body to, to a very expensive car that has all sorts of bells and whistles and all sorts of talents and gifts and things that it can do you know, as beyond the windshield wipers and, and the headlights. But we don't mm-hmm. have the owner's manual. And if we had the yeah. owner's manual, <laughs> we, we would be able to, to do so many amazingly magical things that – that have been written about in the past, like teleportation, like um, you know, uh, doing away with 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 um, with you know, being able to to rise up in the air, being able to float, being able to um, I don't know, send thunderbolts. I mean, I think that the human body has all of these potentials in them, and it's up to the driver to investigate where these are, find them, and start utilizing them. I think it was the Buddha who was able to go from one side of a river to the other to teleport himself. Um, Jesus walked on water. I can walk on water. It just has to be frozen. Um, So, (laughs) you know, there are are skills and, and there are things that are scientifically provable that the human body is capable of. And yet we don't bother. We just drive around to the grocery store and come back again. You know, we don't we don't take it out on the road and really let it let it shine. I mean, the and the one thing that I have found in and I've I have interviewed hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of people in the last 15 years. And every one of them that 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 you know really has a profound talent and gift, all of them have said the same thing that meditation was the key to getting where you want to go. And it sounds so simple, but that that seems to be what unlocks the door for so many people to be able to um, send their thoughts, read minds, um, see spirits, do past life readings, to do um, remote viewing. I mean, the potential is every human body is the same. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's a matter of is, is the one riding inside going to maybe not look for and find the owner's manual because that would be cheating, but, but to find all of these different talents and gifts inside of them and, and use them to explore their reality to a far deeper way than, than, than we are doing right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with what you say. I, you know, we, we both put it in a different language, but, I mean, in one place you say that spirituality and science really say the same thing, but they just use different language. Right, right. But it is it is exciting, and in, in, especially to get back to you know the the book and and understanding, you know where we go when we die. And I, I've often said to people that you create your reality by your perception of it. And I would think that that's the same thing about death. 
that, that what you expect to see is what you create in your mind or whatever is there right before you let go of that and move on to the next level, whatever that is. That, yeah, I totally would agree with that. That also might sort of explain why some people have, that have had near-death experiences, like the lady that um, had, was clinically dead and then came back and had no uh, recollection other than, than just blackness, maybe that explains why some people don't have an experience or don't you know, see or, or feel or hear anything after they, um, after they are gone. But I, I want to I get back to one thing you said. You know, I, I believe that the spirit, the essence of you, um, you know, will be different because when we do go lifetime to lifetime, often we go male to female. We don't stay in one particular sex um, every lifetime, according to what I have read and, and, and my belief system at this point in time. And, and my belief system could change easily in a heartbeat. So, but... But right now, um, I, I believe that we do fluctuate between between sexes, and I, I I don't think personality itself. The personality is the expression of the spirit within, but my personality might not really work well in a male body, or or <laughs> right. I don't know. Right. Maybe maybe right. I'll find out. So. I don't think your your personality does that because I, I do believe there's a there's a point. I, I I personally believe that 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 this 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 spirit that is within us that is going lifetime to lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. In my opinion, is doing it mm-hmm. for a reason. I mean, what is the purpose of this? I mean, there has to be a point to it. I mean, does science have a reason for this? No, I mean that's not something that that is. No, that's not something that science really has addressed. I mean, this is still this whole concept of of even talking about the potential of of what happens after death is still something that's you know fairly taboo in scientific circles. I mean, there's there's sort of a clear delineation, I would say, between science and uh, religion, and I think scientists, for the most part are very happy to leave uh, the, the religious and um, philosophical questions uh, to, the, to, the, to the religious folks. Um, so, no, I, I don't think that there's really any focus or really any understanding of that right now. Well, yeah, when, when, when you look at a forest and you see the trees and you see them growing and dropping their acorns and then eventually dying and then new acorns, you know, sprouting up again and creating a forest and stuff like that. I mean, that 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 appears to be the 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 whole purpose of of that cycle that is going on there. Um but when you come to the the complexity of a human form and journey, if if you can remember past lives and experiences and we can, we all can. I mean, we all have, um, you know, little reminders here and there. Oftentimes it will come in as a talent or a gift that, that, you know, I didn't develop, but it's there and isn't that magical. Um, so, that, so that, you know, there are things that filter through from, other past, from past lives. Sometimes, oftentimes, um, you know, phobias 
come from a past life. I'm fearful of getting my hair wet. I panic. I feel like I'm going to drown, even in the shower. And that does come from past lives where I did drown, and I firmly believe that. That explains it very easily. And lots of other people have phobias that can't be um, traced to this lifetime, but but if you you really look at them, you go back. And and I must say it, it doesn't do any good to know where it came from. I still panic. So, you know, but... There's got to be a purpose to all of this. It's we're not we're not hamsters on a wheel. Um, as far as you know, as far as the planet we're living on, we have developed a great deal of stuff over over the last several thousand years. Technically speaking, scientifically speaking, we've 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 done amazing things. But why? I, I'm, you know, it kind of, you know, it, it, I, I don't think our lives are purposeless. I think there is a point to it. I just, I don't know what it is. That's why I asked you. I thought maybe you would have some clue. No. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I think that's a, if you're asking me essentially what the meaning of life is, I, you know, I, I think it's different for everyone. Do I mean, I just don't. I don't know. I don't know what the meaning of life is. I mean, is it to is it to learn as much as you can um, so that you'll have information for the next life? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the I don't know what the end game of that is. It's a, it's a good question. It's probably the eternal question. Um, but when when you you know when you have explained, I think one of the most there were several really fascinating parts of your book that I just thought were so cool. And I, I want to go back to the book because I really feel that this is something people should read because it gives you so much to think about. Um, among other things, the burial rites that, that, that are so, so varied, um, you know, from, you know, uh, throughout time and even to this day, that the different philosophies, different people, um, different cultures, the burial um, practices are so different. They were amazing. I mean, we, you know, I got the cremation and the burial, you know, and burials, but there are so many other fascinating um, cultures that have different ways of dealing with, with death and what to do with the body. You, you want, maybe want to go into some of them because they are, they're amazing. Well, you know, I think a lot of the different religions and, and ideologies have those different beliefs in, in how how the dead is respected and how um, the burial process happened. I, I think a lot of that really sort of comes down to um, their belief in – or their different beliefs, I should say, uh, in, um, in the next uh, evolution or the next, uh, the next life. So a lot of those practices were really sort of bound to their to their um, ideologies. Ancient Egyptians, great example. I mean, they were uh, very strong believers that the that upon physical death, your uh, your body would would uh, go to the stars. It would go to um, to to essentially what we would consider to be heaven today. Uh, but they believed a little bit 
differently than probably most other cultures um, even today in that they believe that the body, uh, the physical body that, that they maintained while they were on earth is the same body that they, they would take with them to, to, to heaven. Um, so there was great importance placed on the preservation uh, of those bodies. Uh, they would remove, and I don't want to get too, too graphic here, but um, they would remove um, the primary organs uh, they would put them in what are called canopic jars. They would embalm them uh, using a, a variety of different um, fairly state-of-the-art chemicals, especially for back then. Uh, and they would perform preservative measures uh, on, the, on the physical body to ensure that the body would uh, not rot, that the body would uh, you know, remain in a physically good um, state, so that, that when the time came and they were able to uh, transcend to the afterlife that their bodies, they could uh, re-inhabit their bodies. Um, they believed so strongly in the, in the preservation of those bodies uh, that they would put um, little figurines in the tombs with them. Um, these little figurines were called ushabtis, and they were designed essentially to protect the bodies uh, spiritually and physically protect the bodies uh, until until they were able to uh, uh, reincarnate. Um, so really interesting, especially when you compare like ancient um, Egyptian ideology to modern day, you know, where, where we are, we place a heavy emphasis on uh, the spirit of the individual transcending to heaven or whatever, and that the physical body plays no part in that. Um, so kind of a, you know, completely different ideology, different different um, set of, of beliefs as far as how, you know, some of the funerary practices were um, sort of evolved over time. It's it's really interesting to me though to look at, you know, sort of the progression of how how we've how we've viewed the idea of uh, of the value of the human body. I mean, there's well, all yeah, kinds of I mean, examples. We could, you know, e oh, even well, within yeah. my own. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say there there are cultures where they put the bodies. They have sky burials, where mm -hmm. you know the body is is given to nature. They have uh, tree burials where you know the animals can't get to the body, but it's given back to nature. They have. Um, some cultures literally keep the bodies in the house and they dress it and they wash it and they feed it and they talk to it um, yep. forever after after the person has passed away. Uh, and and then there are the, some of the cultures that, uh, I forget exactly where it is, but they, 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 they lay them out in caves um, mm -hmm. that, that animals can't get to nor, nor anybody else. And, and then... You know, you even have some of um, the, the cultures from um, South America going way back. Um, the, the victor would eat the heart of the, of the loser to take his power on. So that, so that you know, yes, some of it is gruesome, but, but the concept of, of the, you know, what do you do with the empty shell, um, it, it's, it's amazing the different ways different cultures have honored the death 
and and mm-hmm. then you know there 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 are those those cons- you know I I'm not sure why um I think the the Muslims don't allow cremation because the body has to be kept intact um the I I think a lot of the the different cultures that came before quote unquote major religions were were fascinating as to how they dealt with those those people that had gone you know before so mm-hmm. it it it's it, it's it's kind of like you know now today we have cremation and we have burial and 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 you know it's it's a matter of the human body is a part of nature it will it will absolutely deteriorate and go back to back to ashes uh, or or soil mm-hmm. or whatever and and yet you know people you know there are cemeteries all over the place i i have a cemetery in my backyard that goes to the 1700s um which is really cool um so so it's 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 a it's a your book is an amazing journey through time as far as how people took care of what was left but there was there's never much talk about you know where did this person go you know they're not here anymore their their physical form is here but they're not here anymore so so does does science have any proof that there's an afterlife um does science have any proof there's an afterlife that's i mean hmm science science is 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 all of the physicality and and right. so you know i, I it's got to be hard to you know to answer that question probably but but yeah is science it's, it's looking very for hard i mean yeah, absolutely. Science is looking at that, and and I would say you caught me off guard a little bit on that one, only because there are many pieces of that puzzle, right? So when you uh-huh. look at the the concept of death itself, as I mentioned, you know we're starting to change our perception of what death even is. So to really understand what happens next, I feel like we need to understand what actually happens um, before that. Right, so the process of death, we need to fully understand that before I think we can understand what happens next. And there, there are certainly many unknowns still within that that realm. I mean, again, like I said, death is no longer considered to be an on-off switch. We recognize now that it's a process. So, you know, as part of that, I think science is is starting to. Um, sort of loosen the grip a little bit on not only the, the beliefs or the traditionally held beliefs around death, but also potentially what happens after death. Um, as far as proof, you know, that, that's a really subjective question. Um, yeah. Because there there are a lot of people, again, without having a solid definition, there, there are a lot of folks that are looking into um, different aspects of, of um death and the dying process uh there is yeah there there's a lot to that i mean we could sort of unpack that but yeah there's a there's a lot to that well i think that you know it, when you go into the 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 one the one element that comes in here are 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 ghosts and 
if you go into the fact that that our spirit is energy, um, that would sort of explain. Uh, uh, and I'm and I'm not talking about hauntings. I'm talking about people visiting right after they die and stuff like that because um, hauntings are not something that I really buy into totally myself. So, um, but 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 seeing a spirit or or a memory of is is the spirit that we see when we see a spirit is that our memory projecting holographically something we want to see or is that an energy that is projecting itself there to give us comfort of some sort I think it's probably a little bit of both okay um it's so it's sort of like maybe we should be explaining some of these manifestations in a more simple easy to understand and embrace way so that people aren't frightened or shocked or upset by them so that they become um you know uh, um, more comfortable with 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 what what is happening and more open to it because i know just just with ufo's um currently wrote a book called before roswell before roswell happened um seeing ufo's was a very common thing it was not a big deal people saw them big deal have another beer um but but you know after roswell it became a, a mysterious thing and then we have aliens and all sorts of um stuff going on that 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 is frightening to people and i'm wondering if if religions said you know your spirit could visit a loved one and and make it not scary for people it might be a, a far more comforting experience when it does happen yeah yeah I, I completely would agree with that i think a large part of that though really does need to be driven by um, science and facts, at least at least for people like me that, that want to have kind of black and white answers and, you know, looking at the, the religious aspects of it simply don't provide the, the level of detail or the information that to me is, is really um, enough uh, to, to believe in. So, yeah, I think if there's if there are some focus that's placed on that, then, yes, I completely agree that that would be a that would be a good definitely a good thing. I mean, a lot of times what people are seeing is is a holographic projection from themselves mm-hmm. that they need to see because they want to see somebody again so so uh so so deeply that maybe it's a combination of both and and you know it it's i find it fascinating because when when you speak to a spirit that has passed on you know you don't you don't get um you don't get information like what happened, what did you see, who did you meet, what was going on. Usually it's a message of love to be given to someone who is living to give them comfort. Mm-hmm. No, no, all the time that's what it is. I've, I've never had somebody, you know, spirit-wise say, get a pencil and paper. This is what I saw. This is who I met. I don't ever get that, but I get, you know, tell so-and-so that I love them or I left the key under the doormat or, or, or whatever. So... In, in all the in all the time that I have done this work, I have never 
I've never experienced somebody coming through that was going to tell me what was happening. And, and all of the other people I know that do this kind of work, um, none of them have ever actually said anything like that. You know, I saw a spirit. Now, you know, in channeling, oftentimes, you know, you get different stuff. But but as far as mediumship goes, I've never had a spirit say, I, you know, Uncle Uncle Frank visited me and this is what he told me or anything like that. So, again, I, I think that it could be a, a projection from either side that, you know, this is what the person needs to hear or see or feel, and and that happens. But if you look at Ghostbusters, they use EVPs, and they're able to get electronic, um, often electronic voices. And mm-hmm. could they just be energy that is that just happens to be, you know, floating in that area that, 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 that they're picking up? Potentially, or, or, yeah, it could also even be uh, one potential explanation is that it's uh, a projection uh, from from their own mind or from their own psyche. So, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns around around EVPs for sure. Um, that's something that's a particular focus for me. In fact, I would say 90% of the videos on my YouTube channel are are um, specific to spirit communication and, and EVPs. So that's something that's um, certainly very passionate about. There's definitely a lot of uh, different theories that are sort of out there around the whole idea of electronic voice phenomena and contact or communication with spirits using technologies. Well, if if the person that has passed away, if their energy is focused on wanting to communicate with somebody, then 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 that is something that that you know is certainly they're able to do so long as the person they're aiming at is a, is is open to to getting a message it's sort of it has to be almost a two-way thing because one has to be able to send something the other has to be able to receive it yeah no that you're and, 100% correct i would say i was speaking at a conference this last weekend and in, in um one of the questions that that came up from a gentleman in the the audience was can you um can you be sure? Well, there was two pieces to, to his question. One was, can you be sure that you're communicating with who you think that you're communicating or want to communicate with? And then the second part of his question was, do you think that the person on the other end, the spirit, also has to want to, um, you know, communicate as well? Is there does free will exist in the in the um, spiritual realm or the the multiverse? Um, so no, I, you're absolutely correct. I, I do think that there is sort of a multi-pronged requirement there and that, that you do have to have, I guess, cooperation of sorts on both sides. Yeah, and exactly. And that could answer your question about the dinosaur. Um, the dinosaur might want to be able to send information back, but, you know, who's going to receive it? Yeah, that's that's possible. But, there's but, also you know, the, sort of this – there's another sort of idea that I've sort of bounced around around, uh, sort of around the dinosaur thing, and I know it's kind of, it's kind of funny talking about the dinosaur, but um, there is also the thought that potentially um, a energetic 
um, or a spiritual, whatever, energetic, an energetic imprint of a dinosaur uh, wouldn't really exist because of the, the time differential. Now, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because, again, according to, to, to traditional tenets that we know from, from um, physics about the law of conservation and talking about energy, that doesn't make sense to me. But I, I've talked to many folks and, and several psychics uh, that all sort of believe that um, that energy is only viable for a certain length of time uh, and that sort of like um, quantum decoherence or the concept of, uh, you know, energy propagation that after a certain length of time that potentially the energy becomes so weak that it's unable to potentially uh, manifest. Again, I don't know that I completely buy that, but it, it, there is a lot of sort of thought around um, that being why uh, events like paranormal encounters with dinosaurs uh, just simply haven't haven't been uh, reported. I kind of don't think I totally agree with that. I I, I know that time on the other side, <clears throat> on the other side of life, um, it doesn't exist. So we are mm-hmm. timeless. Im- immortality is right. timelessness. And I believe that um, especially with um, people who hunt for dinosaur bones, don't mm-hmm. stumble on them accidentally. I think they may be tuned into the energy of the bones and drawn to those so that they can be excavated. Interesting idea. Yeah, maybe. So that sure. there is... There are people who are very, very good at this and, and, you know, find bones all over the place. And they have to also be in the area where the bones are buried, let's face that. But um, I know out west there there are a lot of um, people who are currently, you know, digging up, you know, Tyrannosaurus rexes. Um, and, and, you know, some of the others that I can't pronounce. But I do believe they are energetically drawn to where they're buried. And they have to be honing in on something that is drawing them in so that I I believe these bones, even though they're millions of years old, are still radiating an energetic of some sort that these people are tuning into and picking up on. Yeah, that's I mean, a very else, interesting idea. How else would they find them? I mean, you could, you know, you can you can go into the desert and dig all over the place and not find a dinosaur bone, but some of these people are very very successful, and there has to be an extra card in the deck or something that that they've they've opened up another frequency that they're able to tune into, and I think maybe that the frequency may have something to do with it, um, you know. I would think that humans humans are emitting a certain frequency um, when alive and maybe a different frequency when they're passed over. And, and yet there is that element of the dinosaurs also having a frequency that may not be human, but it, <clears throat> it may be something that those people looking for them are able to identify and follow, which, yeah, which that's makes definitely it a, That's easy. a good point. I mean, I think it makes it easier to explain why people who are looking for bones 
um, actually find them better than people who are looking for, you know, treasure hunters looking for gold and silver. Gold and silver doesn't probably emit the kind of frequency that would be easy to pick up on a human level. Right. Right. But um, but but I think that that you know I think we energetically even in even when we're down to dust I think that there is an energetic there that is radiated. There has to be you you know even though you take it down to the smallest molecule it once had mm-hmm. the frequency the human frequency attached to it so there has to be a residue of that as well. Yeah, I would guess. No, that would definitely like, you know, make sense. Something that, that yeah, what, that, that would draw them to that to that area. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Well, using that theory, then why can't we find Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> well, I think they found him. I think they uh I read something a few weeks ago that that um someone had come out of the woodwork saying where uh, where he was definitively buried and that the FBI was gonna potentially uh dig a location. And try to find the drum. Well, yeah. In the meantime, he may be in South America someplace, you know, celebrating. With I kind Elvis. of wish that. Yes. <laughs> and Hitler. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, I think that that you know the I think, in many cases, science is, it, it science is actually loosening up a lot. It's 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 right. it's admitting a lot of stuff, and it it is it is it is opening up to experimentation in places where it never would have gone before. But um, but it it the energy factor is is so important, and you know it, they've identified the energy, they've identified the frequency of the human brain and the human body, and you know they they have all of this information and. And they keep it in the textbook, and 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 again, I, scientists are opening up to a lot of the spiritual aspects of stuff, and and some of the spiritual stuff is you know so far afield. I understand why they aren't going there, but um, you know it's 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 a pleasure to talk to somebody who has the scientific background, who's who's working in the field to to sort of help create a bridge between the two philosophies because. You know, once they actually come together, I think you know it's it's going to be amazing. I think it's even in the Bible. I I don't know why. I think it's in the Bible that the you know science and spirit are are going to come together somehow. And it's it's. Um, I wish I really could do chapter and verse on you, but I can't. Um, that 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 there are so many aspects of humanism, and and our spiritual self that that can enhance the the scientific and there's a lot with the scientific that can help to enhance and help people to further develop the energetics that they carry within them. And you know, when the two mm-hmm. fields stay so so separate, um there's there's not not any way to really um capitalize on on the gifts that we've got within the human body. Right. I mean, you know, the human body, you know, replaces itself, you know, um, I don't know, every seven years, every cell in the body replaces itself or something like that. Now, it, that's, mm-hmm. that's, if that's the case, why can't we grow an extra arm? You know, there are, there are animals that can. Octopuses can. 
you know, if they lose one well, of we, their... Um, the, the human body actually replaces billions of different cells every day. So uh-huh. with a complete, uh, I guess, regenesis every seven years. So, yeah, um, that's an interesting, interesting idea for sure. But I think we're starting to see, you know, you mentioned sort of that, that genesis of, of um, science and, and uh, belief and spiritual belief. And I think we're starting to see that. I think we're sort of at the, I guess, the crossroads. The next probably 10 or 15 years I think will be fairly luminal in that I think there will be a lot of discoveries that are made around consciousness, around um, the concept of, of uh, after death experiences so I, I think I think we're we're in a good place right now um, you know even probably 10 years ago talking about something like this um, if you had any kind of a science background being involved or talking <laughs> in anything talking about you know any type of a fringe topic like the potential for life after death or you know ghosts um, really would be considered to a large extent, uh, professional suicide. Um, but you're starting to see now that, you know, tenured professors, tenured doctors, scientists, people are starting to sort of come out of the woodwork and start talking about some of these things. And there's starting to be much more legitimate scientific emphasis placed on it. Um, are you familiar with the work of Dr. Sam Parnia? Mm, no, I don't think so. So Dr. Parnia is a cardiac surgeon. I can't remember the name of the hospital. I, I want to say it's in Chicago. Um, he has had a number of patients that have clinically died uh, during heart surgery. Um, they've had cardiac arrest and have clinically died and then have come back to life. They have been resuscitated. So Dr. Parnia a couple of years ago, came up with the idea because he kept he kept hearing um, commonalities in the stories of his patients that uh, had come back from from cardiac death of floating of laying in there on the operating table, uh, watching the procedure unfold, then floating above their bodies and then looking down and actually seeing everything and hearing everything that was occurring in the operating suite at the time of, of their death. So Dr. Parnia came up with this brilliant idea of placing numbers across the top of the, of the room, uh, all across the, the top of the operating room, with the idea being that if these individuals that had these experiences truly were able to uh, float above their bodies and look down on you know what was occurring, that they would see these numbers and that they would be able to recall those if and when uh, they were uh, able to be successfully resuscitated. He's had a number of individuals that have clinically died, that have been you know clinically coded or, or um, clinically dead uh, from cardiac during cardiac um, procedure that have reported to him after being resuscitated or after having uh, that near-death experience, uh, seeing those numbers at the top of the room. And I want to say it's like 560-some-odd men and women. So it's a large study um, of folks. And it's, he's even branched it off, and they've, I believe they have a, a hospital in, in UK that's also participating in this research. 
but essentially he is he is proving that there is aspects of this near death experience that are not only real uh, but that are reproducible and uh, potentially explainable. So if all these folks that are dying are able to uh, recollect and, and remember seeing these series of numbers, there's there's something there's got to be something to that. You know, usually when there's smoke, there's fire, and I uh-huh. think there's enough smoke with Dr. Parnia's study that people are starting to pay more attention and they're starting to recognize that there's probably much more to this equation than, than we realize today. And, and a lot of that oh, information, I think, you know, will eventually lead to non-believers and people that are you know, maybe on the fence about their belief in an afterlife or, or the continuity of life. It will lead to them you know, sort of taking a side uh, and, and you know, realizing or, or recognizing that, that there definitely is more to, um, to the equation here. Yeah, and I I think what I, I, you know you you brought to memory the the story um, of a woman who was on the operating table and and died on the table and floated above her body and then outside outside the operating room and noticed that there was a shoe on a window ledge. I I don't know four stories up, five stories up, or whatever, but it mm-hmm. couldn't be seen from the inside and it couldn't be seen from the outside. And when she reported it, you know everybody sort of poo pooed it until. Somebody actually did go and investigate, and there was a shoe on the ledge yeah. that couldn't be seen any other way other than floating by it. Um, there, there is that. Hello. Hello. Uh, 